continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, back at it. Some bonus content for you as we are recording on November 13th. We love barbecue. We love grilling. What is also fallen in that live fire realm of course that's pizza and one of the names of companies that you think about when we talk about high heat pizza especially is the company uni and it's been around now for a long time perhaps we would say forever in this day and age and here to catch up with me is the co-founder of uni it is christian hey how are you hey how you doing Thanks for having me. Just wanted to spend a few minutes with you here today and talk about the company and and talk about pizza in general. It was, I think, Brian Dodd who had originally hipped me to the Uni Pizza Oven. Now we're going back, you know, years. You might have been out for maybe a year. It was still just the one original flagship product that was running on pellets. And he had reached out and he said, man, you got to take a look at this and you got to have these guys on the show. And he was really a buy-in believer from the beginning, and I wasn't overly familiar with uh, high-heat pizza mm-hmm. in general. Certainly, I love to eat yeah. pizza, but it was very traditional, thicker crust, hand toss, blah, 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 yeah. that you would get at any number of retail locations across the country. Never made it myself. So yeah. I listened to him and then did a little research on the product and, and had you guys. I think I had actually met you uh, in person at a... Uh, HPBA Expo, uh, maybe, yeah. oh, gosh, it was probably four or five years ago at this point when it was down in Florida or uh, Atlanta. So when you look yeah. back at that time, certainly the company was much smaller, and but there was a drive. There was a passion that had been sparked, and it, you were now shouldering the burden to bring it to the masses and, and extol the benefits of doing this pizza and giving people a tool that will allow them yeah. to make good high heat pizza. So as you look back, I mean, can you give us that kind of thumbnail on when pizza became a passion of yours, but not only to make, but then to manufacture something that you can bring to an audience? Oh, thanks. Thanks very much. That's quite an, quite an opening there. Yeah, it definitely started for my myself. Uh, I got really mega into making pizza back in 2010. So 10 years ago, really now this year, 10 years ago, when my wife and I got married, pizza became a thing for us. Like I, I started researching, making the dough and sauces and these kind of things and quickly realized that the type of pizza that I wanted to achieve and wanted to make, you just couldn't make it with a domain that gets up to sort of 400, 450 Fahrenheit. So at that point, that was, that was kind of the point when I realized, well, okay, I think there's something, something we could do here with kind of starting looking into creating a better tool if there's so many great tools for making uh making barbecue or your kettle grills and you've got your pellet grills and all these all these different things that you are therefore making excellent barbecue but there's nobody's making a great tool for making pizza it started as a passion for pizza first and then it's become a passion of creating the best tools uh, best tools for enable people to do that i think for a, a long time there have been pizza ovens available at least here in the states you had access to them but man oh man they were extremely expensive a lot of them you were yeah. importing in from uh, italy or for some other you know well-known pizza making places you were installing them in your backyard and they were like part of 
the house and the landscape and the hardscape of the back. And if you were going to move, that was probably going to be a selling piece of your house. You weren't going to be able to just put that in the back of the pickup truck and take it along with you. So when you were reviewing better pizza cooking options, is this something that also stood out to you as saying, hey, we need something that can produce a really good pizza, but is something that people can take uh, with them if they move or to a neighbor's house or a friend's house to have a pizza night, if you will. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Like back in, if we rewind ourselves back to back 10, back 10 years, genuinely your only option for a pizza oven for your garden was $2,000 or more. And that becomes, that's an, Big, that's a big, big investment to put into something that you might not actually know if you want to be doing it. That was a big thing there is for finding finding ways of people to get into get into this hobby of making pizza um, at an at a rate that wouldn't wouldn't put them off. Reinventing the pizza oven as something something portable, more in the kind of regular barbecue segment where you can take. We call them portable pizza ovens. Uh, they are big. I mean, it's not something you'd want to necessarily carry under, especially a bigger ones like Unipro, which is 16-inch pizza pizza in there. It's not something you'd want to carry around for too long, but it's definitely something you pick up and take to your friend's place. When you originally put together that first Uni pizza oven that was running on pellets, how long did it take you to go from that original concept to having something to sell? It was quite a fast turnaround. Now, now looking at it in hindsight, on kind of if you if I think about like how our product development cycle these days goes, that initial thing actually came around fairly quickly. So it started as a as a spark of an idea of like, hey, you know what? Be cool. It'd be cool to have a pizza oven that that is about the size of a carry on suitcase. And, and we went through lots of little iterations of trying to. So your basic, your big thing that you're trying to do is you're trying to get rid of sort of a ton of concrete and cement and rocks and bricks. So trying to reduce that down to something size of a suitcase. So a lot of looking into that. And so the first year, if I look at the timeline, about nine months and but one one big sort of transformation in that process was discovering pellets and using them in this gravity fed manner uh, using them to fire it and that allowed it to be actually become fairly compact as a as a product and it made a nice kind of unique and uh, differentiator to what what else is out uh, then came the original kickstarter campaign in end of uh, end of 2012 which was good success it was good success and it showed me that okay well i'm not alone with this one there's other people out there who like something like this because I, I was really creating in the beginning i was creating this product for myself i knew that well if I, if I can one make it work and i can then get it produced and i want one then i'm sure there would be other other people out there so the kickstarter then showed that, that okay well definitely definitely is this mar- this market out there and then after the kickstarter it took about seven months to finding finding a manufacturing partner who could take a chance on a very kind of small scale project like this um we're still making the numbers were in the hundreds but they weren't in thousands or tens of thousands uh, that we might be in today's today's terms but it was quite difficult actually to find the right per, right factory partner to take on something or a bit of a random thing that the kind of western manufacturing isn't really necessarily geared towards making these days you're on the lookout for somebody that'll take this flyer on an upstart but then on the flip side, from your end, you have to find somebody that's going to manufacture these 
uh, both in a way that you're satisfied with, but is going to yeah. be able to give you a product that you can then turn around and you know build some profit into to make this business venture yeah. uh, feasible and something that would be able to at least start to sustain itself to some degree. So was it hard to find somebody that was able to maybe take that chance and, and give you a little leeway to make a little money? And, and was there any agreement with them to say, hey, if we get off the ground with this, then we can come back in and, yeah. and restructure because there'll be more ability to just make more raw product? So kind of the history of it was we had two manufacturers first, the first one and then another one here uh, out in Finland, where I'm from originally. So I looked all around the UK, uh, where we're based, we're now based in Scotland. And um, I found manufacturers in Finland that we worked with in the initial stages. And they were really quite a traditional sort of um, sheet metal uh, shops that would take sheet metal, put it through a laser cutter and fold it into fairly fairly sort of straightforward shapes. If you look at the original Unis, they were really made, designed to be able to be manufactured in a straightforward manner with basic basic tooling. What then happened in uh, sort of end of 2014, 2015, I started looking at, well, okay, I want to grow this company to the next level. And fortunately, as much as, much as I'm patriotic to Finland, would love to see something like this made there. That's just not going to be this. It's not going to be scalable uh, going forward. So I started looking around at where do where where are barbecues manufactured? And I found a manufacturer in out in uh, in China and went to visit them. Went for my first sort of business trip to China in 2014 and found a manufacturer that we actually continue to work with today. Mm. So many of our products are made uh, made with the same partner and they've grown hugely through this through this process and what was really kind of like in a business sense what was great what was the kind of big revolution in that at that stage for uni was that we were able to get our cost price to a point that we could actually sell this profitably to people because that well you you want to make we want to make this as affordable as possible but we want to we need to make a little bit of profit in there enable to grow the company and expand into marketing and make sure that as many people know about it Uh, but it also was really the kind of the best part of part of moving to this this partner was that we could get our quality up by a lot we could start getting into manufacturing processes that actually aren't possible because of the high cost of labor uh in in western countries and there are lots of really good we know manufacturers around here in, in scotland that do really high-end um high-end manufacturing and there are lots of manufacturers out, out in the us as well of course there is but there's for certain types of things you have to you have to find the you have a product and you have to find the factoring capabilities to match that product and the market you're trying to trying to go after. So, you know, everybody loves to talk about made in America or American yeah. made and all this stuff. Now, saying that, you know, the next sentence is, oh, my God, it's so expensive. As you're just alluding to is wanting to stay in Finland, but you realized in order to, yeah. to grow, there was going to have to be a, a change. The next logical step is always to go to China and see what they have to offer. Now, I've talked to a number of manufacturers who have made a similar yeah. change in manufacturing and I've heard horror stories, but I have also heard through those horror stories, there are manufacturers in China, as I'm sure you're about ready to attest to, that you can partner with. They will understand the quality that you're looking to do. Uh, you're getting that purchase price where you need it to be in order to, to resell, as you were talking about, to make that profit, but to also perhaps uh, increase the product line, which we'll get to here in a moment as well. They also mentioned that 
once you find that partner, even if they're really good, you have to make those treks back over, whether it's four or five yeah. or six times a year to make sure that the quality is still there and they're not taking liberties or just yeah. unilaterally doing things in the manufacturing process that they think that you should do that you haven't okayed. Yeah. So uh, is that a, a similar experience that you have had in order to maintain that uni quality that uh, you have the bar set for? Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. Like the, um, they are just like in any, any commercial relationship you have to keep, you know, it's not like we trust our, we trust our partners to do the work, but we do have called call these days now with the pandemic COVID going on. We haven't been able to, unfortunately, been able to visit China uh, since since the beginning of the year. Uh, I think actually because of the timings, we didn't have, we haven't had anybody visit there this this all of this year, and things have gone well, which has been an eye opener that we can do this even without those visits. But it does mean we have got weekly calls with all of our manufacturers, with the with the teams that are taking care of that side here. We have we pay for external QC in in China, and it comes down to like now. Now, with the way that UNI has grown, we've we've been able to invest in our staff here. That we have we have people who are have those hawk eyes on the spec that we sent to our sent to our partners, and they can keep an keep an eye on that everything everything lines up. Because you have got you have uh, there's still humans, there's still people who are manufacturing these things, and um, sometimes people make mistakes, and sometimes something gets missed. We're just there. We're making sure that we can actually capture those capture those things early early enough. But that's the case with any manufacturing when it comes to you. Just uh, you have a good strong relation working relationship with with your with your partners, uh, whether that's in um, Michigan or it's in uh, Shenzhen. You have to have those same kinds of conversations and uh, relationship that you you have with anyone. If you wouldn't have had a successful Kickstarter or as successful as you had, would Uni have gotten off the ground regardless? Would you have, you know, picked up that needed funding in order to move it ahead? So the original funding was kind of, in, especially in today's terms, really quite uh, modest. I mean, what was it like, twenty five thousand uh, dollars back back in the day for about uh, nine? Well, no, precisely ninety two pizza ovens back through that. I would have persevered at that point. I it helped get things along a little bit faster because of that but what also happened was that after the campaign was finished uh, i launched a little website for it i started taking people's email addresses that hey if you're interested in this and then actually suddenly suddenly people started asking tiny tiny bank loan at the beginning to make sure that we can buy product um, had a few friends and family investors kind of thing very early stages but that's the only that's the only outside investment we've taken the big jumps have happened in 20, 2017 when we had our Uni Pro campaign on Indiegogo. That was a massive jump, and that really helped us. Like that was one year when we grew enormously. I think we grew something like three hundred and forty percent that year wow. in terms of uh, turnover, and that wouldn't have been able to do be done without that uh, without that um, Kickstarter camp or the Indiegogo campaign because it just helped get that product into into the market in a much bigger way than it would have been otherwise. So let's talk about product growth. As I had mentioned originally, it was just the one pellet-fired unit. And then over the years, uh, we've seen different uh, versions of uni ovens coming out. Um, mm -hmm. Looks like right now there might be uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, five ovens yeah, from you know five. the Pro, the Karoo, the Coda, a couple different Kodas, and then the, uh, is it Fyra? 
Fira. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. how how's the product evolution, and then when do the uh, additional portfolio options come into play, and how do you make those decisions? Like, when is one successful yeah. enough to then say, okay, well, we're going to add another one? Yeah. Oh, great question. Uh, I think we've. Uh, We've kind of taken this approach to how we want to and what kinds of ovens do we want to make. It was for a long time, it was our ambition to be recognized as the world's number one pizza oven company. But especially during this year, we've grown a lot. And that, that kind of goal of becoming, the, becoming recognized as the number one, that's actually come true. We are now recognized as the number one pizza oven company in the all, all of the world. So with that comes, we kind of take the approach that look, if there's a style of a pizza oven that needs to be in the market, we, we are going to, we are going to look into that and, and make that. So we are, we want to make sure that our portfolio of ovens covers, uh, covers the, covers the breadth of different field types and different, uh, different types of pizza that you can, you can cook with them. So they, they, we start all of our ovens start that they are excellent at making very high temperature temperature cooking uh, uh, pizzas, so they all reach 900 odd degrees. So you can get those sixty second pizzas, and and depending on the type of oven you then go to, you're gonna open up different options. So Pro and Karu, they they uh, they have the multi fuel option, so you can burn charcoal, you can burn wood, you can have the optional gas. So you can you, that obviously then widens out the breadth of different types of pizza you can you can make with them fire that you mentioned there that's our that's kind of the evolution of our original oven and then the uni 2 uni 2s and uni 3 it's a lovely lovely oven there and that's where they kind of but it gives you gives you that really high temperature cooking cooking experience and then in the middle we've got uh coda 12 and coda 6 which have this you just take a uh, your propane tank, you hook it into your to your quarter sixteen, and off you go. There's no faff. There's just on, and it's really hot. Or you can turn it down, and it's it's a bit cooler for longer bakes. How does one gauge being the number one pizza oven company in the world? Who, whose metric is that uh, hitting in order for you to gain that designation? So it's a really tricky one, actually, because a lot of a uh, lot of outdoor cooking, especially in the US, it's a lot, it's a lot of private companies. Uh, so it's hard to get the kind of raw metrics of how many people they employ, employ, or how many, how many, uh, how what's the turnover or revenue and these kind of. We look at it, so we we have some kind of well little birdies out in the industry that we kind of try and get a bit of an idea of what's happening. Uh, we know a lot of people throughout in China. We through our partners there to get an idea of numbers people are doing, and uh, we're very secretive of our numbers ourselves. We don't really talk about how many events we do or anything like that. But so you're not going to tell me what your uh, what your gross revenues are for 2020. No, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that we've added we've uh, we've grown this year from 53 people to uh, we're knocking on 90 people. Wow. Uh, so we started the pandemic with 53 people in the staff and in our staff, and now we're now we're closing in on early next year. We'll probably cross 100 people. One main one actually that is a is a really good one to look at. What well, how does a brand how well is a is brand recognized? It's just using Google Trends. Uh, so we we look at Google Trends and seeing how do we compare with other brands in this in this segment? How many searches are these getting and uh, and we do really well. Till this summer, we changed our name from UUNI to OONI. But our old spelling of our brand was still the second most popular pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it 
in the market uh, so so it's quite quite fun seeing that and so we're quite quite far ahead in talking with a lot of the folks that are in the live fire business this year i think there was a a, a pretty big hold breath period as march crossed over the threshold and at least here in the states there was a lot of shutting down of everything the food service industry has yeah. taken a tremendous hit of course but as people were locked in their homes uh, you know not allowed to go to work whatever the case may be a lot of the businesses in the live fire industry started having record years people were forced to be home they're cooking for themselves maybe they yeah. realize that wow we really go out a lot and now we can't so we're yeah. going to have to be self-reliant on eating and charcoal companies are running out of supply and you can't find grills and everything in between, it yeah. sounds like you guys are doing the same. So when you look at next year, uh, and let's assume that uh, somehow we get this pandemic under control, that seems to be an unrealistic thought at, at this point, especially here in the States. It's just running rampant. But let's assume that things start to return back to normal. Will you look at next year as something that you can better than what you've done here in 2020, or, or will there be a, a flattening or a normalization? Ooh, it's a really great question. It's... um. We are still, as as you as you acknowledge, there is we are still within the kind of pandemic twenty twenty year, and it's really so difficult to get any kind of uh, any kind of spidey sense on what's going to happen next year. I think once the first quarter is done, and then we'll have a little bit more of a like a baselining of what what we might expect for the rest of the year. We're of course very kind of like we we started before. Before the uh, pandemic, we were in a, in a good position. 2020 has brought the future forward in one way or another. We do also see that, well, this is, we're building building a new segment into the, into the outdoor cooking market, and uh, it's just getting started. When somebody buys a uni oven, whatever it is, um, as you were saying, the hallmark is that high heat. And I've just started getting into this whole thing. So I have uh, one of my sponsors is Green Mountain Grills, and they have a really cool yeah. pizza oven insert that sits on top of the fire yeah. pot. So depending on how you set the temperature of the cooker will then relate to whatever that inside the pizza oven insert temperature gets. Uh, typically, it's yeah. uh, doubling whatever the temperature you have set at the cooker. So if you're at 500 degrees, yeah. you're towards 1,000 degrees inside the oven. Now, it's been my experience, and again, uh, more of a novice than even the intermediate and certainly not a professional. Once I trend over that uh, 300 degrees, so let's say it's 600, 650 on the pizza yeah. stone, things can get loose real quick. I mean, if it's 1,000 degrees, and I've toyed around with that. I mean, I have screwed yeah. a lot more pizzas than I've pulled out at that temperature and been like, wow, these are good. People get enamored with high temperature, fast cars, hot chicks, all that stuff. So yeah. when we talk about temperatures and pizza ovens, like what does that really mean from a temperature setting? And then what about a stone setting? Because I think there's a, a quite a yeah. lack of understanding, unless you're an, an expert in what those two or how those two interact with each other. You've got two things going on when you're picking pizza. You've got the stone. We talk about uh, just just making neapolitan style pizza this is the kind right, of right. original uh you're only meant to cook it for at the very maximum maximum two minutes but you really are looking for something like 90 seconds 80 to 90 seconds is your ideal time for that type of pizza so you want to have your stone at about uh, 800 degrees fahrenheit and your oven temperature then um, a little bit above uh, uh, 900 degrees. Unlike with a traditional, or like I say, New York style pizza, which you cook for more like uh, six to eight 
minutes and you're also not kind of drawing too much moisture out of the ingredients so sometimes people are not accustomed to uh to neapolitan style pizza middle so soupy here we do very high temperature neapolitan style pizzas really well and then you can do everything kind of below that as well is it a common error in the beginning to overstack toppings so you know your, your cooking is you know now screwed up basically yeah, no, that's, that's one thing about Neapolitan style pizza is that you have to be quite sparing with your toppings. So they kind of one of the, if you're going to a new Neapolitan style pizza place, actually, what do you want to be doing is you want to order, uh, order a margarita or margarita is the tomato sauce with mozzarella on top and maybe, maybe a couple of bits of basil. So you really kind of just going to the basic and they kind of seeing, getting all of those ingredients. Uh, work then the quality of the ingredients can come through because there's just not too many of them i think what we're doing here with uni is that we're actually changing that perception of pizza we're modernizing it from a supply standpoint do you have any thoughts that you're going to be running short here during the holiday season are you pretty much stocked up and ready to hit demand this year has been a really weird one to check for any inventory if you are now it's middle way through november if you're looking to buy one of these and wanted to want to get it before christmas i would really go in and order it very soon and i'm not saying that from the point of view that i want to sell off this because i know for a fact that we're going to be out of out of stock fairly soon if you are interested head on over to uni.com and shop their currently available cookers uh five different ones to choose from so pick the one that is right for you and you can take them with you when you move or over to friends houses whenever we can really start doing that again and this is Christian from Uni. Christian, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. There you go. Pizza talk in bonus content. We thank Christian from Uni for joining me for that half hour or so. Uni.com is the place to go to grab your Uni pizza oven, O-O-N-I.com. And as he had mentioned... Supplies are short. We're getting closer and closer to the holidays, obviously, as every day passes. So if you want one and you want one in time, pull the trigger now. The first one starts at like $249. Uh, pretty inexpensive for the quality you're going to get, and they go up from there. The least expensive is the Frya. Hopefully you enjoy the bonus content. Let me know your pizza successes and failures And we will have a brand new live show this coming Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.